OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Bobbin, and let's please welcome Dietrich Franco, Managing Partner at Vita Ventures, early stage food tech investor. Super excited as our investor for today. Welcome, Beatrice. It's a real pleasure having you join us. Thank you. Very happy to be here. It, it's exciting because we don't always get the opportunity to talk people who are in food and CPG. Like it's like I think we're two investors in uh, five billion people. Like nobody really. I don't know who invests in these companies or how they get off the ground, but it seems like investors just don't pop up and they're not everywhere out there. They're always into tech and SaaS. So it's really exciting to be able to deep dive into a conversation with you around food and what's going on in that world. And uh, real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. I think at Vita, we have both worlds. That's why. <laughs> it does make a difference. Yeah. And I guess that's probably a way to sustain your business of investing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but really cool. So the way we like to, to kick off our show is that um, we want to be able to deep dive on yourself, share a little bit about where you came from, all these great things that you've done. And you can go all the way back to your legal side from uh, even JP Morgan, all the way to Thatcher and, and forward. Even when you were a CEO, please, we want to dive into that too, because all of these things bring a lot of value to the, to the community. And then while you're sharing that one thing about you that nobody would know. All right, so let me start with the one thing that some people will know, but anything, like it's a fun fact, I guess. Um, I am addicted to taking classes. I uh, can't explain why, but I think I have this feeling that life is too short. Um, and since I was, I don't know, since elementary school, I was taking seven or eight after school classes and it was never enough. And it was sports, music, language, you name it. Like I wanted to take everything and the day just wasn't long enough. Later in life, I continued to do that uh, as long as work would allow. I took skateboarding. I took a serious amateur cooking class. I took all these things. And, and my friends at JP Morgan would make fun of me because a lot of times I had to leave the happy hour or whatever it was to go to like a hotel management class. And they're like, come on, are you really opening a hotel? And I was like, not anytime soon, but this is pretty interesting. So, so yes, yeah, so I have a problem with that kind of addiction, I guess. That's awesome. That's a good addiction to have. I think learning is the best thing and trying new things is certainly more creative. It allows you to meet new people in different areas. You never know what you're going to get yourself into. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So back to your question on my career. Um, definitely not a linear path uh, by any means. Um, I'm from Brazil. I'm from a generation that did not ask the question, what do I really like? And what should I do with my life that has bigger meaning or impact? That was not a, you know, allowed at that time. Something we thought about was, is this a good career? Is this going to you know, allow me to be independent and have a decent living? So I didn't plan my career around what I liked, and I plan around what would be good, right? So I started as a, a corporate lawyer, first in Brazil, at a firm called Pinheiro Neto, then in New York, at a firm called Simpson Thatcher, and then in Silicon Valley at a firm called Wilson's and Sadie. So I did that for almost a decade. I worked a lot, a lot, a lot, night, you know, all nighters, weekends, but you know, I really learned a lot as well. It was so exciting to be part of very large transactions that involved companies that you were reading about in the Financial Times. I particularly liked uh, going through IPO processes and seeing what took, you know, to get them there. So overall it was a great experience. I met so many smart and interesting people. Some of my best friends are from my lawyer days. And, and to be honest, I still feel at home when I go to the law firms to see them. Um, but I reached a point in my career that I wanted to be closer to the business decisions. And that's when I decided to take a risk and, and switch careers completely. So I became an investment banker. Uh, believe it or not, I worked less hours. People say investment bankers work a lot, but compared to lawyers, not as much. Uh, earlier though, we started our days very early. Um, so as an investment banker at JP Morgan for almost a decade as well, I, uh, JP Morgan was an amazing school. I started in the debt capital markets desk, then derivatives, and then I moved into credit structuring. Um, I think I like the credit deals the best. We had this small group, uh, people 
sort of a mix of sales, trading, structuring that work together like a little small business within the bigger firm. And, and it was fun. It was fun working with them. Um, our goal was to source, structure, and place non-vanilla deals. So basically, the deals that were not easy to, to get done. And we had to figure out how to get yes from all the parties involved. Um, sometimes at a guarantee, sometimes a higher interest rate, sometimes a different maturity, um, you name it. So, so that, was, that was really interesting. And then at some point, I started asking the question that I had not asked before in the beginning of my career, which was, what do I really like? And, and how can I have a bigger impact with what I'm doing? So that's when I left the corporate world. I started consulting for startups. I joined a fund that invested in women founders. Um, and during that time, I was consulting for an agricultural tech company, uh, which I then ended up joining as chief strategy officer at first, and then became the CEO. Um, we were working on a technology developed at MIT for sustainable fertilizers. And from there, I started getting deeper into the food system as a whole. Um, and the more I learned about it, the more I realized how unsustainable it really was, right? On the one hand, we have population growth reaching close to 10 billion by 2050. And on the other hand, you have a system that can't maintain its levels of production as is, let alone increase you know production for more people so i you know natural resources are limited climate change is making it harder to produce the same way as before and at the same time our food system is making climate change worse so it, it was really clear to me that we needed innovations in the whole food system space and i wanted to be a part of that so that's kind of when i found okay this is what i've been waiting for my whole life and i finally um found what i liked um, I joined Portfolio's Food and Ag Tech Fund, and then I started Vita Ventures with my partner, Britta Rosenheim, to focus exclusively in food tech and supporting the solutions to the challenges of our food system as a whole. I love it. You, the reason why I love where you are, well, I feel like I'm uh, your guidance counselor from a long time ago. You've really done some great things, Beatrice. You learned a lot. You've done a lot of things. But the reason I, I, I am putting the acclaim to it is because uh, I always say that the people that have the best knowledge, structure, and understanding of startup world are people that are lawyers and accountants. And you're doing both. So, like, it's kind of cool. Sorry, bankers and accountants I'm putting together because you understand financials. So it's really cool because you don't normally get somebody that has such a diverse background, especially in two areas where they focus heavily on beating up analyzing and understanding the startup space and we'll say more series a and up because you're getting into all the different things that you just talked about which are how you're breaking down debt and how you're trying to acquire companies and that's way different than most people get and then on the other side you get a lot of deal flow and understanding when you're in a law firm lawyers tend to always be in every spot which is uh, i'm sure you can uh, attest to this but every deal has a lawyer behind it and then they've got 10 other ones behind them and a few million waiting for to to get into this opportunity so i just find that that's where all the knowledge is and they really dominate in this space and it's really cool that you have both sides of the fence on this one and that i think brings a lot of value or huge value that most can't carry when it uh, uh, it comes to this space. So amazing. So it's paid off that you work so much. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, that's so cool. Well, and now I'm going to kind of want to pull back a little bit and draw into that. So when you taking the legal side and, and putting this together, um, especially from the corporate side, you get into things from governance, um, being able to uh, paper things up a, a lot better. You know, even when they get to board seats, they're always telling people, make sure that you have a lawyer on the board, it's going to make a big difference. So can you maybe shape a little bit of that over that decade that you spent uh, working in the law side? What really did you take from that that really applies to what you're doing today over the last um, five, six years that you've been investing? Are you really hard on the founders and saying, no, you can't do that. Send me the legal, I'll take care of this. Like, how are you really working in this space with that legal side? Yeah, I think I found a way to live with all my previous careers as one inside myself. So um, I guess the lawyer side is the side that asks the what if questions. So I identify 
where is a potential problem instead of thinking, oh, this is all going to work out as we imagine. No, what if this doesn't work out? Then what happens, right? And should we paper this? Should we have something saying like, this is what's going to happen if it doesn't go exactly as planned? Because lawyers are not worried about, there, there's a saying that when we're in law school, they say things like, you have to prepare for the parade of horrors. So you have to think about like, if five things go wrong, what you do, like when, you know, most people are just the optimists. It's like, everything's been great. I love my partner. We're doing so well together. And, you know, they don't think about what if something happens, like not, there must be a plan. So I think that's where the lawyer side comes in. Um, the banker side is more of like, what is the financial opportunity? How do we get there? How do we you know, get the best momentum and how are we ready for an IPO at the end. Um, but I also have the operator side, which is more of the empathetic side as well, right? I know I've been there. I know there's ups and downs. I know um, it will be hard, but I also know that there will be blind spots because founders have 10 jobs in one, very small teams and a lot to deliver. So there's that side of me that looks for what's the blind spot for this specific company, for this specific a specific founder and can I help in any way right so that's kind of how it makes everything up no that's great and and again I, I'm taking that legal side the what if and having that question I'm sure that's got to be pretty impactful that you're always going to be able to bring that to the founder when they're diving in you've made an investment and you start to kind of go back on your past and start looking at where there was loopholes, where there's things that need to be closed off. I think that becomes very valuable, especially when it gets into IP and trying to understand what the value the company really carries in their business before they've even got to market. Um, is there a lot of play that you've had got the opportunity to work with your founders um, with that background knowledge and being able to open that up? And does it come to the table a lot or today's world IP is not that significant because everybody's more just all oh, protected. If I go and tell everybody what I'm doing, that I'm in more trouble. And since you work on both sides in, in food and in tech, does that resonate well? Yeah. So on the IP side, there are many strategies that they can take and I've never been an IP lawyer, so they definitely need help from an IP lawyer when they're discussing this. But from my past experiences, um, you always have to decide what's best at that point in time. Is it to do a patent and make it more public or is it to keep it as a trade secret? Um, so there are all these strategies that you need to think through. And also a lot of times founders think, oh, I'll just patent this and it'll be fine. It's like, no, there's like all kinds of countries you need to think about. Are you going to go there? It's expensive to maintain this. Does it matter? Where should you really be focused on? So I can help with some of that thinking process. But when it's time to really, you know, write a patent and get like you need someone more um, specialized to really give guidance, because this is definitely not an easy, an easy task. No, that's for sure. I remember this was uh, probably 20 years ago. I remember talking to um, and I'm going to try to try to remember the name of the shoes, but those foam shoes that everybody has, the ones that are really soft, but no one wants to wear it. Crocs. And uh I can't remember if it was the founder or co-founder or someone, and uh, it was just a random meetup, and they told me that they had patented um, the material that made Crocs, and they had to patent it across the entire world because that's how much they believed in this. And they had the time, they had something like 120 patents in, uh, sorry, in 120 countries or something to that effect. Um, and I don't know if that still holds true. Maybe it was 80, but they were working on that. And at the time, I knew nothing about venture to this extent, but- uh, I just had that pop in my head, man, that was a long time ago, but anyhow, um, it, it does make a difference in understanding that and you know, a patent lawyer or not, there's still the legal side of understanding it. And I think that that direction can obviously, uh, be really pushed forward. So that's, that's an important piece of any business and understanding what to do. And it comes up a lot in questions too, from founders, what should I do? Should I open up this, you know, or I'm going to do a patent and the patent tends to be, unfortunately, uh, they're trying to do something that's more of a systematic patent, uh, which or process patent, it doesn't really carry much weight. So 10% uh, here, 1% there, and now you've got yourself another business. So it's a, it, there is a lot of stuff that you can avoid early on from cost perspective and, and try to just keep those secrets and, and manage the business forward. So I guess there's many ways, like you said, to, to operate and skin the cat on that one. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it's important for sure. Um, but execution is also important, right? You see sometimes copycats coming and executing it better and 
getting you know in front of the line so so i do think yes you need to worry about that and you also need to worry about execution and not feel like okay now that it's patented everything's fine no you still need to keep going you know so how does how do you when working with the company on that side how do you enforce early on say they do have patents and you're seeing that they're being infringed on um, it's a startup where they don't have the capital to fight this. They don't have the capital to do much with it. Is it something that you just kind of put on the back burner and deal with in 10 years when hopefully the other companies are bigger and then you can go after them for more financing or, you know, how does that look? Yeah, I think it depends on the problem itself, how big of a problem it is. Is it a little thing you can change and doesn't really matter? Is it a big part of your business and you need to get a lawyer and start with a seasoned disease and see, take, take it from there, you know, but a startup that starts into a legal battle that early on will die. I mean, there's no way around it. It's just very, very costly. That is true. That is true. So now you, uh, you've taken this legal side, you're moving it forward and you, you switch categories and you jump onto the banking side uh, from a numbers perspective, spreadsheeting it out. I'm going to, to make the assumption that through this, you uh, built on some uh, bigger, better, faster, quicker learnings on, how to run different derivatives and financing and manage money differently. How much has that kind of now impacted the legal side? And when you're now speaking to um, CEOs, are you more hard fact on, I need to see your PL, I need to understand the real numbers and diving in deeper into that perspective before you actually even start kicking off any other conversations? Because I invest in early stage companies, there's not a lot to dig into, right? There's projections. Um, but no early revenues per se. My my partner side of the world sometimes has early revenues. She looks more at the software side and digital, which is different than the side that I look at, which is more the food science and biotech. So I look at it from the standpoint, I obviously look at the projections, but I look from the standpoint of the assumptions. I wanna make sure whatever is there is doable. How big is this market? Can you get to where you think you're gonna get? How hard is it gonna be? Um, and, and see if it's realistic. You know, Optimistic is fine, but is it even possible from the way you're showing it to me or is it completely delusional, right? So that's that's sort of what I, I focus on uh, in terms of numbers, because there's not a lot of um, quantitative numbers for real that I can look through and test sometimes. And, and there's also no consumers I can call necessarily and ask sometimes, you know, is this solving your pain point? What we can do is try to understand if they would be interested, but, Testing the product is further down the line sometimes. And that's a good point that when it comes to CPG products and they're in uh, going through production and testing the products, it's hard to kind of figure out other than, again, making some quick calls, as you said, and, and just say, is this something that you would be interested in and, and maybe having them test the product as well? Um, you are taking a lot more risk at that stage and um, I find that, you know, as an early stage investor, I find that on that CPG side, that's kind of exciting as well. Uh, in a way, you're almost doing sales for the team that you're potentially going to invest in uh, to find out if there's a market shelf space for for the product. But I, I do see that, you know, projections are going to be there. And then kind of as you start to work with the founders, do you start to push more financial side and, and make them more accountable to this, especially as the company grows? Is it driving them to being more um net zero or is it trying to to get them to be just leaner at the beginning like is there certain metrics that you can push founders to to say here's what um i would suggest it'll keep you lean it'll keep you um more more in line of where you're going instead of uh always having to chase the next raise yeah i i think and i've been lucky in the sense that even though there was a craziness last year and you know, hype and valuations really high and all of that. For the most part, I think our our founders are not spending money um, really, really like they are really thinking about it. And some of them are even thinking about, you know, maybe I should raise a little more now to to extend my runway, not not even needing it. So kind of in a good position to talk about it. So um, yeah, so so I haven't seen any major issues in that sense. But what I look for is. Okay, you had some milestones in your head that you want to get until your next raise. Um, how far are you from that, and how much is that going to cost? And and sometimes you see people uh, creating projections with assumptions that were not 
tested. So yeah, so then we're gonna have the scale and whatever we're gonna do with the co-manufacturer. And but have you spoken to them? Have you checked how much they need in terms of a minimum size for their runs? Have you do you know how much it costs? Uh, like you know, so so we look for more you, you, in the very beginning there's a lot of things that you can ignore because there's a focus on getting the product to a stage that it exists right but as you go further and further along you want to see how far are they going from the milestones and how close are they getting into like more real numbers so so yeah so we definitely look at that and, and i like that you brought up some of the things that they may not always think of and there's you mentioned a couple from uh, co-manufacturing and understanding minimum runs in your cogs. I think these are all important and then adding in other things, which could be insurance uh, and, and, and other kind of staple pieces of a business um, and helping them better understand it before they actually get into that raise. So they know that what the amount they should be raising to protect themselves, at least to get off the ground. Yeah, for sure. And when uh, when you start making those uh, kind of investments and taking this, I guess, rounding all of this up to to get to where you are today, uh, do you find that, um, especially when you were um, you joined the the female fund side, are you finding that you're able to get more people interested in this space because that you're in it and because you started to take a more appreciated look from your background and, of course, from being a CEO in, in this space as well? Yeah, so there is a, a challenge that I keep running against when talking to people about food tech, right? And I think it comes from a misconception. Um, a lot of people think that investing in food tech is changing the way they eat and that that could be, you know, food is very personal, very cultural, very, it's almost like a religion, right? So, so there's this, um, I always try to avoid, you know, I always try to go over like, we're not trying to recreate the food system. We're trying to solve for the problems that the food system has. And anything we invest in at Vita has to be something that is not asking for a consumer compromise, right? We're making it easy to switch. We're making it easy to increase or, or you know, th there's no like, oh, now you should stop doing this. Like we, we are not doing that at all. And I don't think uh, food tech is about that at all. It's about having better solutions that use less natural resources, less footprint, um, that it is the same as what people are looking for, right? That's, that's the, and that goes for materials as well. So if you're thinking of alternative leather, same thing. If you're thinking of packaging, sustainable packaging, same thing. You're not gonna give something that, you know, melts while you're, you know, sharing it just because it's more sustainable. Like that's not the idea, right? We really wanna give something that's exactly the same functionality. If it's food, the same taste, um, everything that people are expecting. And that's why we think it, it can actually have an impact because we're not telling everybody now to, to stop doing whatever they're doing, right? That's not, that's not the goal. It's interesting that you have to have that type of conversation when every day it's in the news on how this part's down and this agricultural is having this issue and potash is slowed down and we're not getting any because of the war in Russia. So it, it is fascinating that even with the amount of information out there that you still kind of have to um, figure skate around it to get them to the same spot where, you know, and that could take years if they think that you're being more, um, uh, I don't know if it's obtuse to the problems or however you're trying to face it to them but I don't know I kind of is it's confusing you would think that they would be all for it yeah yes, I, we need I, this let's go climate's changing we need to do something yeah it's a total need to have right not a nice to have but I do think that if you if you look I think that's why food tech investments were lagging behind other climate tech investments um if you see and and rightly so a lot of investments going into renewable energies electric cars that was what people had in mind, but that's a much easier ask, right? From people, if you think about it, it's not their personal, I, I can't even explain how, but it, it gets to a point that people feel like invaded, right? When you're talking about food it, and you have to talk more about it, explain more and then people go, oh, actually, that's a great idea. But it takes that conversation at first to, to get to that. When you're talking about renewable energy, you don't need to go through that process or electric cars. You don't, you know, maybe you say, yes, there will be charging stations in your garage and in whatever, and it'll make it easy. But it's, a, it's not a personal conversation as much, you know. Interesting that, as you said, it's a more personal thing, even though I think it seems more like a financial 
issue where you're betting and hedging that moving everything to electric is better. And now they're coming out with so much content sharing how that one battery took uh, 4 billion tons of uh, cobalt and every other thing to make. And now everybody's probably thinking, wait a second, I thought this was supposed to make things better and now it's not. And so, you know, does do people hopefully gain enough knowledge where they start to question everything in the same fashion? Because no one questioned this until it became the biggest industry selling a quarter of the cars that anybody else is. And now there's more questions than there are answers around uh, how this is even sustainable or how this is even valuable to the, to the, to the world. So it, it is uh, an interesting piece, I guess, that you have to deliberate around and how you're pitching people through and, and getting them to, uh, to align up to this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So with the um with the 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 business that you jumped into and you became the CEO of and you took over and operated, um, has this really given also a lot of leverage to yourself to the the founders because now you can really share a lot more again. Not that you needed more things to be able to relate to a founder with from uh, legal and uh, finance, but now also from a startup perspective, you're like the ultimate investor. This side. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it is, you know, it is different to be in the same shoes um, and, and feel the pull and the push from every direction. Um, feel responsible for a team. Um, it's not just yourself or your career anymore. It's like a whole company. Um, feel responsible for your investors. Feel res It's like a lot of responsibilities and, and it's all at once. And people say it's a very lonely position and it's not a joke. It is. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I feel like empathy, not that I lacked empathy before, but became even stronger um, and just understanding like there will be days that you can't think of everything, just focus on what you're doing, that's okay. And there will be days that you can actually look from a big, bigger picture and think about the strategy, but it won't be every day. So I don't ask the founders to be ready for these things every day or every time I wanna talk to them. I understand right now, they're preparing for this customer trial and that's all their time and leave them alone. And then, you know, when that's done, we're gonna talk about what's next and the strategy and what can we do to help, right? But you, you also need to know when help can be a, you know, a burden on them. So you can actually take your, you know, take a step back and say, go do your thing. If you need me, I'm here. If not, let's talk in whatever many, you know, weeks, months or whatever it is. For sure. And you mentioned something that really stands out there, which is being reliable when as the CEO and you're kind of stepping into that reliability position and making sure that people can lean on you and uh, you're working as a team and growing to that extent. Now, fast forward to coming onto the other side of the table and being the investor, is there learnings that you push back and say, look, I understand I've been there, but you got to message people on a monthly basis. You got to let your investors know what's going on, your team, update them every day, work with your team, be open, leave your schedule open for them. Like, are there things that you take as a founder and think, you know, I could have been better at this, so I'm going to push this to the founders as well, because, you know, again, outside of all the, the normal things that you bring to the table, this one's pretty powerful because now you're aligning completely with that founder and uh, you can understand both sides of the table. So you're you're coming in from the investor side and said, no, look, I didn't do this very well. And uh, if we're going to work together, we really need to see this. Is that something that you also push on? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things. Um, one is know when to ask for help. Uh, not when is further down the line and maybe too late sometimes, um, ask in advance and ask specifically, not just like, oh, we'd love to have your help. Like, think about what are the things you need, ask for those specific things, even if that person is not the right person to help you. If they are, you know, your partner and a good investor, they will find someone who is, right? So, so that would be number one. Um, number two is I think you need to, of course, when you're just a few people, um, everything, even the bigger problems uh, get solved easier, but as you grow, you really need to think about culture and you really need to think about what it is and what it isn't, right? You need to make sure that whoever is joining is joining with the same mindset and it's there in, for the long run. There will be hiring mistakes. Obviously, everybody makes those, but um, if you're very clear about what you're about and you're very good at communicating, um, regularly, as you said, I think you have a better chance of having, you know, a team behind you to, to get it done. I like that. The 
know when to ask for help and be specific. I think that uh, if we were to put a title to the podcast now, that's what I would put to it because it is so significant. Um, I'm finding that a lot of founders, and I'm not sure if it's they're afraid to ask for help or they don't feel the channel's open or they think they can correct it faster before so they never have to ask. But I think that that is by far the biggest thing that I see as well is um, how do you get founders to feel engaged enough to ask those questions and when and being able to be upfront about it and not be uh, worried. Is it uh, we need to go to the bar and get drunk so that we're buddies or is it, um, you know, we need to do more uh, socializing and get out and do other things because you need to have that bond. Like, what is it that gets somebody to open up and share what really is happening before it's, hey, I'm failing the whole company tomorrow. What? We've had months to talk. What happened? So yeah. like, what is, is there something that you found that is the, maybe the secret sauce to this that kind of gets founders more comfortable to say something beforehand? Is it coaching and and like asking little specific questions that open the door a little bit? Like, what is it that you found gets them to be more engaged in this process? So what I think has worked for me, I mean, it's one thing if you're on the board and you have regular conversations, that's a different story, right? Um, but if you're not on the board, one thing that I realized that works really well is to show that I'm thinking about them. So if I see an article that has something related that they might like, I just I just send that. I just say like, oh, thought about you, look at this. Um, if I have that touch point every now and then and they see I, I'm thinking about them and I care about them or I come up with an idea. There was one company I didn't even invest in, but I um, maybe one day I will, but I, I sent to them an opportunity. Of, there's this show, I don't know if you've seen Hot Ones, that they do, um, <laughs> they interview people while they're eating like very spicy. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I told them, I was like, you know, there are some celebrities they're going to be interviewing that can't eat real chicken. Maybe you should have your chicken there. Um, and I know they contacted them, but I don't know if they went anywhere. But just the point of view, sort of thinking about them, coming up with random ideas, whatever it is, and just sending them messages every now and then, I think opens up the door for them to ask you things as well, right? So so that's something I've been doing and it's natural. It's not like I forced myself to, I just really, something pops up and I think about them, I just send it to them, an opportunity. No, that's great. Do you think maybe even if you, uh, this might be going to the extreme, but in the conversation then just sharing, oh, I did this once, do you think like that type of thing also uh, shows that, both sides are human so that things exactly. can be engaging it's exactly that is this this is not a you know power dynamic i invested in you situation and now i want you to make me rich kind of situation like this is a partnership right and and for, for the most part i think people who are in the investor seat and chose to have this position i won't say everybody's like that but for the most part i think people who chose this position they're really interested in what you're doing. They're excited. They think about it. They read about it, you know, sometimes in their spare time. It's 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 exciting to me to hear more about what you're doing and learn from you. So as long as I can have this clear message, we're both humans and we have things to, you know, make it helpful and exciting for both of us, let's just talk, you know, let's just, and reach out. It's it doors open. No, well put, well shared. Um, and I, hopefully every founder listens to that and, and understands that, hey, it's a, it's a two-way street. And, and like you call it, it's a partnership. And I think maybe sometimes they forget that and think it's one-sided. And we, as the investor, are sitting above or something when really it's not. It's sitting beside them and just trying to help uh, help them along at the same time. So uh, well shared. I'm going to dive just quickly into one of the hot topics. And I was on a panel the other day in um, Alexandria and it was on how to um, how in this future world does do we continue to empower women and help them uh, drive forward into all spaces uh, of course in the startup world and in the investor side so now that um, things that you've been doing in this space especially in the fund side and now investing uh, throughout the last um, uh, five six seven years is there something that you're seeing that's changing a lot because you're taking this route? Are you able to um, educate more women? Are you able to get more women interested in the space because you're becoming the leader of that? I guess everybody sees you doing this. You're in a specific area, uh, which is tech and food, which is obviously a good thing. So are other people trying to take this and, and jump in as well and, and seeing this as an opportunity? Or is there still fear about uh, going out and, and taking this type of step and investing in high-risk areas? What's What have you kind of learned over the last little while since you've been part of this growing community? 
Yeah, so I, I think uh, there are some great communities for emerging managers, uh, women emerging managers. Uh, Transax is one of them, Women VC is another one. And, and that has been really, really helpful because it's an open channel. You can ask questions and there's no dumb questions. You can ask anything and, and you also feel like um, supported, right? So, so it's like, ah, uh, it's something like operational or something, whatever, like, you know, you can share all these things and one helps the other. And I think that communities like that make it easier for anybody to take the plunge and, and do it, right? Also, I, I think for founders, um, we were, go, we were getting better and then a little worse after COVID, you know, unfortunately bad news on that. But I, I feel like the more women investors they see, the easier it is for them to feel, um, to get funded and to feel that, you know, they are where they should be. Um, because unfortunately there are, there are unconscious biases and, and there is this thing of like investing in who looks like you kind of mentality and and you know if people are used to seeing successful founders being um mark zuckerberg and young you know men white male whatever it, it's not, never going to change but if they start seeing successful women founders then that becomes the face of a successful founder right so so it's it's a cycle it takes time um i i do see a lot i'm, I'm an optimist and i see a lot of changes um, I think it's going in the right direction. I think it take, it's taking longer than we all wanted, but um, I see a lot of a lot of improvement. It would be interesting to see if, um, and I know that it, it would be tough, but one thing that was running through my head while I was on this panel, um, and it was a great panel, by the way, uh, it was very um, uh, empowering, liberating all these great things because there were so many people that were participating in it. But I think one thing that I would be curious of is when you do have this uh, unconscious bias is that does it also follow suit when you're segmenting people now and saying we only invest in women or if they do invest in everybody, do they tend to invest in women as well only like meaning that they don't want to just invest in women, but they're feeling the urge that they should. Uh, or the maybe it's guilt now because of the forum that they're being placed under. Um, and like on the panel, uh, there was two sides. There were women that were saying, no, I'm best investing in the best. And I don't care who you are, what you are, as long as you're the best. Um, and we got to stop doing this with women and everything else uh, because everybody knows how to survive and we all need to push harder and be ourselves and just drive. And And I, I thought that was commendable, too, because I think all sides play a part in this role to get more women entrepreneurs, get more women investors and really driving it forward. But I do see that there's obviously going to be a, a long journey ahead for all people to come to this balance, right? It's like your best friend can be a female, your best as a male. And those things are allowed, which they don't tend to have that very often because we've been taught differently. Or, you know, there's so many things that have been built up in this world that um, almost become red flags to preventing a lot of um, where we should be as humans, where everybody treats each other as equals and we invest in each other as equals and we all support each other. But again, that, like you said, that could be a, a lot longer from now. But in the journey that you're on, are you able to influence more women to invest? Because I would love to get more women on this podcast. So uh, I think that that would be uh, huge if you were able to do that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Portfolio actually, and I'm, I'm still part of it. Um, Portfolio has the mission of bringing more women to the cap table. So even though it is a fund and the decisions are made by the partners, there is this overlay of having like monthly pitch calls where the LPs can join and listen in and see our thought process uh, on things we're investing in. And the idea is they will get excited about investing more, you know, and being angels in, in different uh, startups and things like that. So I think there's a lot of effort being done on that sense. Um, I, I do believe in a balanced, um, I, th I think we need all of it. I, I do think we need some people just focus on that and be whatever minority we're talking about. There's plenty that need some extra help because the more they can get funded and the more successful they can be, the more the face of what a successful founder will change. And that alone has huge impact, right? So I think we need that. Um, but I also think we need to invest in the best. And I think the way we do that at Vita, we look at a team. We're not going to not invest because it's not diverse by any means, but we do care if the founding team cares about diversity, even if they don't have diversity. I think, you know, if you, if you know your best friend from, you know, 
whatever school you went to and that's the expert you want and you want to start you know your two white male founders that doesn't mean you shouldn't get funded right and if, and if you're the best you should but if you realize that you need more diversity um that's what we care about because we believe that diversity of thought makes better decisions if everybody agrees and everybody thinks the same chances are you're going to make worse decisions right so it's 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 a good business decision to care about it but i wouldn't say oh we have to see it especially day one like you you know it just it, it needs to naturally happen um but you need to care about it from our standpoint i love it that's a uh, very well said. I, I do agree that because it can work on both sides and all parties. And I have found that even in universities, uh, you know, the startup um, programs and things that they're working on, that and even across um, companies that are coming out of university, it's a conscious mindset that they are trying to balance the business out right from the get go. And I think that that actually makes a big difference. Um, sure, maybe people that are um, going and starting a company with their their friend and stuff like that. That's not something that you can just decide. Um, I need to make a new friend that's a female so I can start a business. But I do see that it, it's starting to really change and resonate with people that having that diversity is going to make your business more impactful. Having different opinions is going to make your business more impactful. So uh, I, I think it's almost getting to the point where, you know, in any business you operate in, there's such an equal balance or it's getting to a pretty equal balance. And you're seeing the power of all people collaborating together at all stages makes a big difference in driving in, in a successful company. So uh, very well shared. And, and I agree with that too. I think it's uh, very um, uh, positive for the future. Yeah, if, if you look at a smaller scale, right? So at, at our fund, it's just um, me and my partner, Britta, right? She's used to looking at business models that are, you know, on the digital side software and have early revenues and behave a certain way. Um, when she, when I talk to investors that invest in my side, we're known to no early revenues and we don't ask certain questions, right? She will come in and she, like, you know, our secret sauce is we need to convince each other <laughs> to vote, you know, yes for the investment. So that's already diversity of thought. And, you know, if you look at us on paper, we're not that different. And, you know, we are, I'm Brazilian, she's America, but, you know, I'm saying we're still two women, right? But it's diversity of thought and it challenges you and it makes you a better investor, a better person in general you know agreed agreed pretty exciting uh, well we're, we're going to transition now because i'm sure we could keep talking i have a million more questions but really it, um we'd be on here for many many hours going through all the different scenarios but i do see that um what you guys are building is pretty awesome and i think the collaboration works of course and pushing this down to the startups educating them and educating investors along the way it's uh it's a pretty amazing model and, and i'm sure it's going to keep paying dividends in the future and hopefully um, not only do we have more female founders we can increase the amount of female investors i think that that's uh pretty pretty huge because i do think that when a founder looks up at the stage or looks in the future to someone that they want to have participate in their business. They also wanted to make sure that it's not 20 dudes on their board or 20 dudes uh, on their cap table when it could be pretty much diversified. So I think that that's something that we're all shooting for. And, and I think that makes the world a better place too. So. So now we transition into the storytelling side where you get to share a story or a use case of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. As, so I'm going to turn it over to you, but yeah, looking forward to hearing um, what you think it takes to be a, a founder and, and maybe um, a story that resonates with you that um, she or he really just dominated and did some great stuff. Okay. I, I do think you need to be a little crazy <laughs> to begin with because it's a huge risk and it's a, not a one year thing, right? It's a long-term thing and you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have lots of challenges. You might have to pivot at some point, who knows, and you need to be ready for that. Um, so, so yeah, you need to be a little crazy, uh, but you also need to have a very good idea in the sense that it's fixing a real need it's not just a nice thing to have but it's really needed right and it's a big market so all of those things that we know about and i don't need to you know go through them but i think those are very important you also need to have a certain personality i think because um you have to have a mix of being ambitious and and have you know hunger for it but you need to be humble at the same time you need to know when to ask for help you need to be realistic you need to be patient so it's a certain personality right that that should um fit with that 
one one founder you asked me to to highlight one one founder that we invested recently in um it's it's food tech but it's more from the sense of the material so using its alternative leather um we invested in the name of the company is called tomtex she she's vietnamese it's a woman founder she actually grew up in vietnam and saw how you know the leather industry polluted her town and and how the workers were um had problems you know with disease by being because it was toxic and things like that so it was very personal to her she did uh end up going into fashion school at some point so it went full circle and then she started a company that is doing alternative leather out of shellfish waste which is you know amazing um they have an amazing product and one thing that they they, they it's it's a three people team at the moment um and and i love all of them the 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 whole team is is really great and one thing that i thought was really cool is that you, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast where you said, you know, we're fixing one problem, but we're finding another problem uh, with the battery. So that's happening in alternative materials as well, because a lot of the alternative leathers that were coming up from plants or whatever it was had plastic backing on them, which solves one problem, but creates another, right? And they were very, from the beginning, they really wanted to not have plastic and make it you know, very strong and 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 same functionalities, but not creating another problem. So, so I thought that was really interesting, and and they you know stuck with that, and they got to that, and now they're at a point that they're, you know, starting some customer trials. So, so that to me was really really exciting to see. Wow, that's a great story, and I love the fact that they're challenging themselves along the way, and they're not just creating another byproduct and just saying, oh, too bad, we'll fix that problem later. I think that's awesome. We 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 had um. I remember a story with uh, one of one of our um, founders, and he said, I, "I'm I've been dealing with this challenge of the product that we put in our package, and if I go with this version, it costs this much, and if I go with the one that's non-sustainable, it costs half that." And no, we're a, we're a startup, and we're trying to figure it out. And you know, I in my mind, I when we shared, I said, "You know, you got to start somewhere and work your way up. You have to get to that point." And I said, but, you know, there's, those are tough questions on how do you maintain the business that you want without um, totally choking yourself from the get-go. And then um, we kind of left the conversation at that. And then after I thought about it and I sent back a message said, you know what, just stick to your guns, go, go full on, make it a hundred percent the way you needed to. People will see what you're building. They're going to get excited along the way and you'll tackle that extra problem when you get there. But you know, don't don't beat yourself up over something that is around cost. Stick to your guns. You're doing this to be sustainable. Be sustainable and and work from there. And um, so yeah, there there's a ways to cut the corner and there's ways to just do it right. And um, I appreciate the the doing it right. So that's pretty amazing on what they did. So fantastic story. I'm building up my story repertoire so I can share these as well. But that one's awesome. All right, we're gonna go into rapid fire questions. We're almost there. We're getting there. Um, all right, from the founder side or the investor side, sorry, you're going to pick one or the other. Ready to roll? Yeah. All right, founder or co-founder? Founder or co-founder? I'm if not good gonna... at this, Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, you get to pick if you would like, if you're investing, would you, do you want co-founders to invest in first or would you rather invest in one founder? Oh yeah, co-founder. Okay, unicorn or four-year ten x exit. Mm, depends. I'm, you know, my lawyer side is going to come here, and all depends. But I'll say, let's say unicorn for now. Nice. Uh, tech or CPG? Tech. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? I should say second or third, but I do like to give a chance to first-time founders who have a great idea. So first-time founder. Okay. First money in or Series A? First money in. I can help more. Angel or VC? VC. Board seat or observer? Board seat. Lead or follow? There's room for both, but let's go with lead. I love it. All right. Favorite part of investing? Changing the status quo, you know, 
finding a problem and then finding a team that's dedicated to that solution is very exciting. Okay, and I know you talked about this before, but verticals of focus, areas that you tend to want to invest in versus, or sorry, where the fund wants to invest versus where you personally invest, I guess, would be the easier one to share. It's both actually the same. Um, so food science, biotech, um, software, and next generation materials. Love it. Two qualities a startup needs in order to stand out to you. The one we talked about, the, the right team, right? Um, adaptable and ambitious. Um, and I think the next one is solving a real need. I like it. These are two kind of sub questions. Why invest in food tech now? So we are at an inflection point. Um, we have both the consumers asking for alternative products and we have the push from the technology side being as cheap as it's ever been. Um, if you think about the cost to read and write DNA, it was in the 90s, like 2.7 billion to do the first human genome. Now it's like $1,000. So the same thing that happened with computer processing and speed and, and price is happening now um, behind you know biotech. So I, so I feel like this is the right time and there's people who want to buy it. So now is the time. We're very bullish. Perfect. Last question on the business side. Do you see this market correction affecting companies coming into the space because it does cost a bit more? So do you see that affecting uh, the number of startups that are coming to the forefront? Or do you think that there'll be more? Or how do you see that kind of going forward? So we don't see the market correction as much in the earlier stages that you see more on the growth stage and pre-IPO. Um, but we do see some valuations coming down. I don't think that's a bad thing for anybody, not for the entrepreneur, not for the investor, because it was kind of not logical um, last year. So now it's coming down to a point that is more logical. And I think that gives the entrepreneur more time to reach their milestones so they don't get crushed when they get into growth, right? So thinking about down rounds and other things like that. So, so, so far it's been a good thing um, for us and for the entrepreneurs I would support. Perfect. Okay, we're going to jump into the personal side. All right, most famous person that pops in your mind? Uh, Warren Buffett. Perfect. Book or movie? What did you say? Sorry. Book, book or book movie? Book or movie? Um, book. Wonder Woman or Robin? Wonder Woman says I was like three years old. Nice. I thought she was pretty cool back then too. Uh, restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Different reasons. Uh, probably Bezos. Uh, this is it. We can't do this. Even I want to hang out with Oprah. I don't know. I feel like I have so many questions. Um, understand the, I don't know, understand his thought process and it would be interesting conversation. Oprah would be more entertaining though. Do you think, do you think from the question and, and I like the way you approached it, do you think that because Oprah is so much in the public eye that there seems to be less mystery and questions that you can ask whereas bezos has been more in the background and yes he's built a large company so there's more reason to want to ask questions because he's not so public that could be um but i also think it relates more to what i'm doing now so i have more you know desire to ask questions right now i think maybe if you asked me this a long time ago my answer would be different i like it beach or mountain beach Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNugget? Uh, Big Mac. Trophy or money? Everything depends. What is what are the trophies for? <laughs> uh, let's go with money because it's more guaranteed. All right. First brand that pops in your mind. First brand, Mac, because I'm looking at it. 
Apple gets their like 80%. Um, <laughs> camera or mobile phone? Mobile phone. Queen or rich? Rich. I don't want the responsibility of a queen. Concert or amusement park? Concert or amusement park? Amusement park. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Fortune cookie. Not a cake person. TED talk or book reading? Book. TikTok or Instagram? Believe it or not, neither. Nice. Facebook or LinkedIn? Not on Facebook either, so LinkedIn. I like it. Favorite movie and what character would you play? My favorite movie is the trilogy, Born. Do you know, Born? I, I love that. That's the character, you know, a crazy spy that knows all the martial arts and all the languages, many passports. That would be my favorite. <laughs> That, that's a, that's I watched that one maybe about a year ago, the whole trilogy from, again, from top to bottom. So big fan. Yep, agreed. Uh, favorite book? I can't answer that. I have a lot of different ones and depends on when you ask. But one that was very eye-opening to me, it's huge and it takes forever. It's called The Gene. It was very interesting. I recommend it. Gene, all right, I'm looking into it. I like it. All right. But there's a whole bunch that I really like. Favorite sports team? I have to say the Brazilian soccer team. World Cup is coming up. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last two questions. We're almost there. What is the meaning of success to you? Success to me is to be doing exactly what I want and still have time for a real personal life. Awesome. Last question. What is your superpower? My superpower. <sighs> Should have prepared me for that one. Um, I think is communicating. Um, we'll, we'll see if my husband agrees with that one. Um, I do like to, you know, reach to the other side of the table and make sure we're getting to a compromise or a solution that everybody wins, right? Um, that's something I like to do. It does come across that um, your your superpower is being uh, on the communication side, but I think it also is probably because of your background being diplomatic. I would think that uh, most legal people and financial people want to come to some form of agreement in order to make things work. So you do seem to come across that way as being uh, amicable and getting to the midpoint and making things happen. So uh, I want to say, Beatrice, it was amazing chatting with you. Thank you very much for all of your time. You were Same. awesome. And I'm I'm hoping that we'll get to have many more of these conversations in the future. And what I would share is that um, we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to the investor community, to the startup community, I turn it over to you. But thank you very much again. I took a million notes. And uh, again, thank you. It's awesome. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Uh, the only, I, I think the only thing I would say is that I want to see this happening. I want to see us um, see more innovation. I want to see everybody embracing it. And I think we can do this together. We don't have to be um, against it. Like it's time for us to get together and move forward. Well shared. Time to embrace the food tech side of things and uh, help the planet because it's taken a beating over the years for sure. Perfect. Thank you again, Beatrice. Amazing. Thank you. Great talking to you. Bye. Likewise. Okay, Beatrice was brilliant. That was awesome. Uh, so many good touch points. Yeah, so many things that um, Beatrice shared that I, I want to jump on. I like the one where she says that you have to be a little crazy to be a founder. I, I'm going to say you need to be a lot crazy. I used to use the terminology that you had to be almost psychotic. Uh, and everybody said that wasn't a good term. So I like crazy, but I also think that uh, if you tie crazy in with having a fifth gear, you've got the personality that needs to be a founder because it takes a lot. Um, you know, she mentioned you need a good fit. Um, 
personality, reliability, or other factors that really make a big difference from uh, being an, an investor, being reliable, again, to your team and to everything else that's going on. Um, know when to ask for help and be specific. Um, culture was another one that was brought up that was really good. And, you know, from the legal side, she shared that um, the parade of horrors uh, when it came to uh, the legal side and, and business. So that was pretty fascinating uh, terminology to hear. And of course, um, blind spots, projections, partnerships, so many good things that were shared. And I want to say thank you very much for, for sharing all of that. Uh, we're, uh, we were pretty excited to be able to get that um, deep analysis and understanding of the food tech space. So uh, Beatrice, we appreciate that. And thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Feel free to share an audio or video clip around um, our show, and we may include it in one of our future podcasts. Find us at marketing at openpeoplenetwork.com. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.